chapter 15. I'm going to get right into it because we got a lot to cover. Um, I, I do apologize. We've had some technical difficulties concerning the past recordings of the, the past couple weeks that we have already ministered in this series on the Holy Spirit. Uh, we are in a series called Misunderstood. Misunderstood because the Holy Spirit simply is misunderstood. And what we do not understand, we cannot apply. And uh, the Holy Spirit is uh, slowly being weeded out in churches. Um, the, the very one that we have been given to reside within us, abide within us. Jesus said that he would abide with you forever. Uh, we have tried to do what only the Holy Spirit can do on, on natural means and in our own abilities and powers. And so we need to discover, this series is about discovering the Holy Spirit. I just want to give you a quick recap. In the first week, we took, we, we took a look at misperceptions on both sides. Uh, because when I talk about misperceptions, I'm talking to people that know nothing about the Holy Spirit just as much as those uh, that believe that they are spiritual. And so we first took a look at the importance and the power of perception. And so uh, once again, as we go through this series, whatever background, whatever history, uh, whatever uh, pretense uh, and presumptions you have concerning the Holy Spirit, um, you know, we've got to put those aside. It's very tough for me to teach and for you to learn uh, when you've already got a mentality uh, one way or the other. And it's important when we go to the word of God that we allow it to do what it's called to do to renew our minds, renew your minds. You realize that Jesus and all the power and all the authority that he operated on the earth, the one thing he could not do was change someone's mind. The one power he did not have. He could walk on water. He could cast out demons. He could heal the sick. He could even raise the dead. But the one thing he could not do is get in someone's head and make them think according to a certain way. He came preaching a message in, in Matthew chapter 3. He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That word repent does not mean run down to the altar, cry and weep and sob uh, and, and ask for forgiveness and tell God you're sorry and then go back to your chair. That word repentance literally means to change your thinking. Jesus was coming presenting a message that uh, 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 the Pharisees and the religious leaders thought he came to preach, but they were wrong. And so he said, you're going to have to repent. You're going to have to change the way you think. You're going to have to learn to think and renew your mind according to what God says. You cannot live what God's word says if we don't think like God's word. So what the way you think always has to come before the way you live. The way you think always has to come before the way you live. And so we saw that if we have past perceptions um, that can hinder us when discovering the Holy Spirit and the person of the Holy Spirit, uh, then they will hinder our growth. I don't know about you, um, but I want to remain teachable. I, I never want to get into a position in any area of my life, but especially with God's word, that I think I've got it all figured out. Amen. Amen. Does anybody have it all figured out? Because if so, you need to be holding this mic, and I will have a seat. But no, we don't have it all figured out. We don't know it all, which means that we've got to remain teachable. 
And could it be that sometimes we've just seen some things incorrectly? Could it be that we've just done some things incorrectly? Could it be that I need to be retaught? I need to relearn? Or uh, maybe just uh, uh, have, have more of a firm foundation. Every time I preach the word, I'm doing one of two things. I haven't said this in a while, so you need to hear this. Every time I preach, I'm doing one of two things for you. I'm either forming a new belief within you that you didn't know, or I'm strengthening and reaffirming a belief that is within you. The Word of God always does one of two things. It will either form a new belief within you. Wow, I've never seen it that way. Or it will reaffirm and strengthen a belief that's within you. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means I need to keep hearing if I, need, if I want to continue in faith. You're only as strong as the last time you went to the Word. Right? Does anyone uh, get it the first time? No. That's why taking notes is so important. Because some, for, for, for some people, it helps them to write it down. I remember things better when I actually write down what I just heard. Then it's important to go back over those notes. I've got books of notes in my office. I mean, I've got stacks of them. And every now and then I'll just pull one out, grab a highlighter, grab a pencil, and then just start going through. And I always get something different. I'll highlight something that I never saw before that I wrote down. I literally wrote it down. I just didn't grasp it. I'll highlight it. Then I'll get a pencil and start writing more things or corresponding things that go along with it that the Holy Spirit continues to show me. This is not a dead book. This is not a math book. It's not a history book. It's not a science book. This thing is alive and active and sharper than any two-edged sword, the Bible says. It's alive. That means I can look at one verse and it tells me one thing today, look at it again in a year from now, and it'll show me something completely different because it's alive. It meets me where I'm at. But I don't receive the power of the word if I'm not in it. I don't continue in it. He didn't say uh, hear the word to show yourself approved. He said study the word to show yourself approved. So we need to be people that want to know and learn the word of God. And we need to know what God's word says about the Holy Spirit. And we discovered in that first week that the Holy Spirit is not a power. He's not a presence. We just felt the presence of the Holy Spirit here. Uh, we just saw his power in manifestation. But we, uh, that, that only comes as a byproduct of the person of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a person. Jesus refers to him as a he. And then the Bible throughout the word shows uh, the Holy Spirit to have a, a, a personification attached to it. Do you know what the Holy Spirit feels? Do you know what the Holy Spirit thinks? The Holy Spirit speaks. Yeah, because he's a person. And it, it, it's dangerous when we desire the power, but we don't want to get to know the person. It's, it's dangerous when we just want what he has to offer, but we don't want to get to know him. When you get to know the Holy Spirit as a person in your daily walk with God, then the power will be present. His presence will be present. And so we first need to know that he is a person and that we need to get acquainted with and get to know him as a person. Last week, last week we talked about being fruity or fruitful. I came up with that title afterward. You see, I, I take notes, but then... Um, there's times that I'll just say stuff that's not even in my notes. So I'm always going back. And, and so I added that later. 
And, uh, you know, when we talk about being spiritual, um, I, I don't mean, you know, you got to be a Fruit Loop. Amen. I, I heard one person say it this way, that there are, are cereal Christians. Nuts, fruits, and flakes. <laughs> right? We don't want to be a cereal Christian. And, I, and I'll reaffirm all this stuff later because I know uh, uh, some people jump on the other side and you, you are acquainted with nuts, fruits, and flakes. Uh, and so then we jump to the other side and we say, well, then that means that no crazy stuff can happen. And that's just not the case. And we'll explain that. Uh, because we are in a different kingdom. It's not of this world. And uh, if you want church to just look like the world, uh, you came to the wrong church, first of all. Um, but you're, you're not really expectant of his church, the church that Jesus is building. Matthew 16, Jesus said, I will build my church. And, uh, you know, it just might not look like what the world says. It just might look a little different sometimes. But in that, uh, we can have Christians that believe that they're spiritual because gifts and and, and tongues and prophecies are taking place. So we took a look at a very, uh, uh, very real and very relevant example in the book of Corinthians. I'm not going to walk you all the way through it, but uh, the Corinthian church uh, in 1 Corinthians 14, Paul uh, says, hey, man, every time you guys come together, you've got a teaching, you've got a psalm, you've got a, a tongue and an interpretation. And, and, and so we need to learn how to do that right. But then if you go back through the book from the beginning, in chapter 3, he's talking about strife and divisions and arguments, backbiting, envies. Uh, chapter 5 gets really crazy. Uh, there's a guy in the church that is sleeping with his dad's wife. Not his mom, but apparently, you know, his dad remarried or something. And so, and, 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 and Paul says, look, the people in the world wouldn't even do this kind of stuff. This is so disgusting. In chapter 6, they're suing each other and taking each other to court instead of taking them before the leadership of the church and saying, how can we get this right? Crazy stuff. Same church. Lacking in the character and integrity of God. Lacking uh, in what we know as the fruit of the Spirit. And when you become more interested in the gifts of the Spirit than you are the fruit of the Spirit, you are not spiritual. Because Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, there will be many come to me in the end, in the day. They will say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons? Did we not produce many signs and wonders? And he'll say this, he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. Interesting. That somebody that could operate so heavily in the gifts of the Spirit that many would look at and say, man, that's a spiritual person. Man, they have got, I wish I was spiritual like they are. And Jesus is going to say, I don't even know you. You don't even know me. Depart from me. You don't know me. See, the fruit of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is for you. It develops you. It changes you. It helps you walk in love instead of hate. It helps you walk in joy uh, in, in, instead of bitterness and anger all the time. It helps you walk in peace instead of anxiety and worry like we just talked about this morning. Uh, it helps you walk in self-control instead of giving into the flesh all the time. It helps you be faithful instead of not being a person of your word and not following through uh, with what you say. It helps you be gentle instead of harsh and rigid with people. 
That's the fruit of the Spirit. It's for you. Now, the gifts of the Spirit operate through you for somebody else. So why would God allow somebody so unspiritual to operate in a gift? Because he cares about the other individual on the other end of the gift. He cares. But in these last days, it's important for the church to rise up, not just in the gifts of the Spirit, but the fruits of the Spirit. And you must desire fruit over gifts. Fruit is lasting. Fruit will will benefit others when it changes you. You will be a person that instead of of, of, of always, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? And, and instead of being somebody that's always harsh with other people and, and people hate being around you, you'll become somebody that they can't not be around. They've got to be around you. It's the fruit of the Spirit. They think it's just because you're nice. But you know, no, I've, I've got the fruit of the Spirit. If it wasn't for the Holy Spirit, I'd be as mean as you. <laughs> Amen. So we need the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Amen. So that gets us caught up. And again, um, you know, we could go much deeper. And um, I'll, I'll tell you, I've received much uh, confirmation through many of you that have come and told me, hey, this this message is helping you see stuff you never saw before. It's it's beneficial. Uh, it's opening your eyes, and um, you're learning something. But I will tell you this, that uh, you don't get it the first time. You've got to hear it, and you've got to hear it, and you've got to hear it. You've got to be in front of it. You need to get with people that know and understand this stuff and have conversations. Go to coffee. Go get breakfast or lunch. Get around people um, because I'll tell you what, next week this can just be another message. You know, my parents, one of their testimonies, uh, they started going to a spirit-filled church right before I was born. And uh, uh, my mom, I think, comes from more of like a Catholic background. My dad didn't really have a church background. I mean, if anything, they would do the Easter and Christmas stuff. Uh, but they started going to a spirit-filled church and started hearing this stuff. And um, there was a couple in their church that would come over to their house every week for six months. Six months explaining them, explaining this to them. And today, that's what I'm going to do. You know, I, when I get up here on Sundays, you know, mostly I try to move and, and try to be directed in, in a way of inspiration. I want these times together to be beneficial to you, to inspire you. Uh, many of you are either looking for a pick-me-up from your terrible week you've had or you're looking to jumpstart your next week so it wasn't like last week uh and so i try to come in here with an inspirational word but today we're just going to be line upon line we're going to walk you through the word uh because we need to understand the baptism of the holy spirit and that's where we're going to go today so for all uh of my uh uh spirit-filled people in the house that you know you you thought that i was talking against the holy spirit all this time i wasn't I'm just trying to bring balance. But we are going to reveal the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Look at Matthew chapter 15, verse, um, let's see. I really need one through three. Matthew chapter 15. I'm going to start with verse one. Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, these are the uh, religious people, the spiritual people. Verse 2, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? 
Look, traditions can be good. Traditions can be good. But traditions are only as good as their purpose. I'll say that again. Traditions are only as good as their purpose. Christmas is a tradition. My wife has been watching Christmas shows and Cannon's been watching Christmas movies. I don't understand why. It's August. I don't know what y'all are doing in this house. But uh, Christmas is a tradition, a love tradition. But the tradition of Christmas is only as powerful as its purpose. And if we forget about why we're even celebrating Christmas in the first place, we lose all the power. The power is in the purpose. And so these Pharisees and Sadducees, religious leaders, they've got some tradition. And Jesus' disciples, Jesus' followers, the man that says that he's come from God and he is the son of God, uh, and he's God in the flesh, um, they're not quite following tradition. And he says, why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, why do you also transgress the commandment of God? Because of your tradition. And in essence, he responds and says, are you aware that your little tradition or some of your traditions that you, so hold, that you hold so tightly to are actually causing you to get, go against God's word itself? And this is what we've got to be careful of when we study any subject and any topic is that we can simply believe things, do things, preach things, uh, uh, and, and apply things because that's how we've always done it. It's the tradition. It's what we've always done. And we've got to be weary uh, uh, of this danger. We, we've got to be aware of the danger of falling into traditional methods and believing something. This kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning. Many of you have perceptions already built up within you. Uh, some of you are in this church service for the first time. You don't know anything about us except for uh, the little blurb that we might put on a website or maybe what somebody told you about us if you're here as a result of, of having a, uh, somebody invite you. And let me just say uh, it is an honor to have you in the house today if this is your first time with us. There is nothing that pleases us and excites us more than seeing new faces that we can impact for the kingdom of God. But uh, uh, no matter what your background is, even if you're unchurched, there's already a thought process that we have in our minds of the Holy Spirit. And we want to go to the Word with everything we do. And so that's what I endeavor to do today. Because let me just make some statements up front. Number one, the baptism of the Holy Spirit is still in operation today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is still in operation today. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, number two, is for all believers. Let me just go ahead and shut down some myths real quick. Tip over some cows, step on some toes or whatever. Because we're going to walk through the Word of God. If you go back to Matthew chapter uh, 3... 
before Jesus even shows up, Matthew chapter 3. And um, let's see, we want to start with verse 11, Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed, this is John the Baptist speaking. Now we know John the Baptist, they call him John the Baptist because he was baptizing people in water uh, for the remission of their sins. Um, But he says here, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he who is coming, and that's a capital H, he meaning Jesus, is coming uh, after me, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. Watch what he says here. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. The Holy Spirit and fire. So there is a subsequent baptism to be expected. We know of being baptized in water uh, when you make Jesus the Lord of your life, not saved. But, you know, sometimes our terminology, we just, we we, we, we lose the the fruit of it. Saved, as in Jesus came to uh, die on a cross to save you from all your sins and to save you from a burning hot hell. uh, And so you could go to heaven one day. But Jesus did much more than that. Much more than that. Jesus came to be your Lord. That means he came to own you. Control you. Now you have to give him that control. I'm not saying that the Holy Holy Spirit uh, is a demon. He's not an evil spirit. Evil spirits get on people and control them. The Holy Spirit does not do that. You must yield to the Holy Spirit. But Jesus came to be our Lord. And so when we make Jesus our Lord, we enter water baptism. And water baptism is basically just simply a sign saying, I have died to the old life and I am made new. Like 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, I am a new creature in Christ Jesus. Old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so that water baptism is that sign. But he says here, look, this isn't the end. This is just the beginning, guys. There's somebody coming. I can't. He, he's, he's stronger. He's mightier. He's got more power. And he is coming to baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. This is John the Baptist speaking. And so we jump on down to Luke chapter 24. Jesus shows up. And actually there in uh, Matthew chapter 3. Uh, you turn to Luke chapter 24. But. Uh, Jimmy, throw up Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, just so I can show you this, because we all know what happens. Jesus ends up showing up, and John the Baptist is like, hey, man, here's the guy I was just talking about. Behold, the lamb. There he is. There's the one that's mightier than I. There's the one I can't even untie his shoes. And then Jesus says, I need you to baptize me. And he says, whoa, wait a minute. I need to be baptized you. And he says, no, we've got to do this so we can fulfill prophecy, fulfill scripture. You've got to baptize me. And when he had been baptized, Matthew 3, 16 says, Jesus came up immediately from the water and behold, the heavens were open to him. And he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting upon him. So let me just ask the question. If Jesus couldn't do ministry without receiving the Holy Spirit, what makes you think you can? If Jesus had to have the Spirit of God come upon him, 
up to this point, he has done no miracles, no signs. You know, I, as a kid, I used to, you know, have this thought and this question. Now, I wonder if Jesus ever did any miracles in, as a kid. I wonder if he ever, you know, saw somebody in his class that had a cold. And, you know, it's almost kind of like that Superman thing, like, you know you could do it. Anybody seen Superman, Man of Steel, the, the newest one, not those old ones? The newest one where he's, beat, uh, he, he's probably 12, 13 years old, and he's fighting, or this guy's trying to fight with him, trying to pick a fight, trying to get him to fight back. And, uh, you know, he just wants to get up and just think, dude, I could pulverize you. I am Superman. You have no idea. But he doesn't do anything, you know, because his dad was always telling him, look, you can't let this stuff come out until the world is ready. And, you know, he's grabbing onto the fence and he lets go and he had dented in the fence with his fist, with his grip. It was in him the whole time. And so, you know, I used to think that, but I, I, I believe the word shows us clearly that without the spirit of God upon him, even though he was the son of God, he still needed to yield to the spirit of God to receive the power for kingdom ministry. Zechariah, you stay there in Luke, but in Zechariah chapter four, Zechariah chapter four and verse six, it says, uh, not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord of hosts. You cannot do kingdom work in your own power. It's impossible. You cannot do the work of the kingdom. What's that? The Great Commission, which the church today has dumbed down to say, uh, go into all the world and make converts. But that's not what it says. It does not say make converts. It says to make disciples. It says, okay, out of the hundred that just said, Jesus, I make you Lord of my life. Now, how many of them are actually going to follow in the word and obey the word and live the word and apply the word to their life? And then in turn, make more disciples, not converts. But if you read on there, I don't have it in there. It's in Mark chapter 16. He says, you'll lay hands on the sick and they'll recover. You'll speak in new tongues. He says, you'll even cast out devils. That stuff doesn't happen without the power of the Holy Spirit in operation in your life. Show me one person in the Bible that did. Even in the Old Testament. Even in the Old Testament. Before the Holy Spirit came and lived inside of people, the Spirit of God still had to come upon people. Go look at Gideon. It says, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon Gideon. Go look at Samson. It says, as long as the Spirit was with Gideon. Because, see, not everybody could have the Holy Spirit like you and I could have the Holy Spirit today. In Genesis chapter 6, the world had gotten so crazy and so messed up right before uh, Noah shows up that the Bible says that God had to remove his spirit from mankind. Well, that's dangerous. Now we're down here trying to do kingdom work without the very thing that empowers us to do kingdom work. It's not by might. It's not by power. It's not by what you know. It's not about how much scripture you read. You are not manifesting the power of the Holy Spirit in your life without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Not even Jesus could do it. Not one of the disciples or the apostles could do it. Not one of the prophets or kings uh, or priests in the Old Testament could do it. You have to have the power of the Holy Spirit upon you. And so in Luke chapter 24, as Jesus is leaving, he is uh, uh, communicating with his disciples right before he leaves the earth and in verse 49 he says behold 
I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. In essence, Jesus is saying, wait. Don't get out there and don't do a thing until you receive the Holy Spirit. You stay in Jerusalem. Stay in Jerusalem. Acts chapter 1, because the same guy that wrote Luke wrote the book of Acts. And so he continues on in Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. Another uh, example of Jesus communicating with his disciples before he leaves. But you shall receive what? Let's say that again. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. So he tells them again that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive the power. So you're not doing anything until you receive the power of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, keep on going. Acts chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost had full had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. It's right there in your Bible. First of all, it says, There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. There was no rushing mighty wind. It's the sound. It says that tongues as of fire, but there... There was no fire. I know that when we see the depictions and maybe the movies or maybe even in your mind, uh, we, we, we include those things, but that's not, uh, 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 that was not the case. There was no rushing mighty wind. Uh, I'll, I'll just take you a step further. When Jesus received the Holy Spirit, a natural physical dove did not float down and land on top of Jesus. It says that the Spirit descended upon him like a dove. I'm just giving correction to these things because if we mistake that, we'll mistake all of it, guys. If you're looking for a natural physical sign as evidence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're incorrect. That's the only time that we see a rushing mighty wind. It's the only time that we see tongues as of fire. But there is one that continues to show up every time someone receives the Holy Spirit. And it ends there, and it says, And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And that is a repeated occurrence. I know that there are people that are fearful of tongues. That's really one of the number one reasons. I'll tell you this. Anytime we apply a natural manifestation to what we're believing God for, it takes our faith to another level. How much faith did you have to use to believe that you were saved? 
because, you know, there's no, there's no physical sign except that eventually your character and your, your lifestyle ought to align with the word of God. Uh, but when you're saved, your hair doesn't change color. You don't get taller. You don't get shorter. Your eye color doesn't change. I heard one pastor say one time, you were ugly when you came down and you were ugly when you left. It didn't change all that stuff. It's on the inside, right? You believe with your heart and you confess with your mouth. It's by grace through faith that you are saved. I believe that I was saved instantly. It happened. It took place. I'm not trying to to, uh, uh, work for it. There's nothing I can do for it to prove to you that I'm saved other than aligning my life with God's word and, and proving that he is Lord. But, you know, healing. Physical manifestation of healing. That's a little tougher because it's obvious if, you're, if your back is healed. It's obvious if, if uh, uh, you were blind, but now you can see. And, and so anytime we apply a natural, now we've got the Holy Spirit, baptism of the Holy Spirit, with the evidence of speaking in tongues. With the evidence of speaking in tongues. Now, when I am filled with the Holy Spirit, there is a, an, a, a spiritual tongue that will fill my mouth that I will speak with. It says, as the Spirit gave them utterance. That means it wasn't up to them. Now you have to yield. I'll, I'll, I'll pray for people to be filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, and, and, and we'll say, all right, now, now speak in tongues. And they'll stand there like this. What are you doing? I'm waiting for the Holy Spirit to, to no, 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 no. You got to move your mouth. You got to say something. You got to say something. And, and, and we're, we're going to stay here because this is the number one issue that people have with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, period. I believe that if there was no physical sign or you didn't have to talk in a spiritual language, that we'd have more people filled with the Holy Spirit. But the bottom line is, is the baptism of the Holy Spirit is evidenced by a spiritual tongue. Spiritual tongue. That means I'm speaking in a language by the Holy Spirit that I do not know and do not understand. The Bible calls it a heavenly language. Uh, Paul says that you speak directly to God. We'll look at the whole thing today. You're speaking directly to God. So there is evidence of the Holy Spirit coming upon someone with speaking in other tongues. Now in verse 5 it says, And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. In his own language. In this instance, they were given the ability to speak in other natural languages that people could understand. Because Paul later on says that tongues is a sign for the unbeliever. 3,000 people came into the kingdom as a result of the very thing that a lot of churches are afraid to talk about and demonstrate. 3,000 people in one day. And, and it gets crazy. You go on down, look at verse, um, look at verse 13. Others, mocking, said, they are full of new wine. Anybody ever seen a drunk person? Anybody ever bet? No, I'm not going to ask that one. Not going to ask that. This is church. 
you know they are intoxicated. These guys, 120 of them, were looking so crazy and so weird that the people thought that they were drunk. Verse 14 goes on, but Peter, standing up with the eleven, raised his voice and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words, for these are not drunk as you suppose. He doesn't say we're not drunk. He just says we're not drunk like you think we're drunk. He says it's not even late, late enough in the day to be drinking. You guys crazy? But apparently there was something on the outside that looked a little crazy. That uh, uh, maybe tipped off people around them uh, that there's something wrong with you. Now, I'm not saying that every time. the whole, I, I've seen people be filled with the Holy Spirit, speak in new tongues, go right back to the seat. No craziness. Weirdness. And, you know, it's only crazy because you're not familiar with it. See, some of you got some crazy families, but you don't know it because you're familiar with it. And everybody else is like, dude, they're crazy. They're crazy. People tell me I drive crazy. I don't drive crazy. I'm familiar with it. I don't drive crazy. It's normal to cut in and out of lanes and go around people. That's, that's normal. What's wrong with y'all? Y'all are the ones. Right? It's only crazy because you're not familiar with it. Amen. And then the question comes up, well, how do you know if they're in the spirit or in the flesh? Who cares? Is my answer. Now, obviously, we don't want to just have a church that's just constantly operating in the flesh and just constantly getting out of line and, and just, you know, there's no teaching of the word taking place. Nobody's really being edified. But at the end of the day, if somebody gets off and somebody gets in the flesh, y'all been to some crazier sports games. Y'all, y'all been to some crazier crazier uh, uh, stuff than that. We say nothing about the world when they do it, and then we come to church and we're supposed to all just stand here looking proper. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Hallelujah. Right? We get annoyed by the people that sing a little bit louder than everybody else. And you're thinking, girl, if you could sing good, you'd be on the stage. Just keep it down. He said, that's, that's between you and Jesus. Right? Come on, can we, get, we can liven it up a little bit. We can be real. We can be real. I told y'all, you know, for those of you that are new with us, I, this is my background. I saw all this stuff. Crazy, real, fake. I saw fruit of the Spirit and I saw fruitiness of the Spirit. I saw all of it. And here I am still serving God today, still preaching the word of God, still living for him. Because at the end of the day, I'm going to stand before Jesus. And I'm not going to be able to say, well, that crazy lady next to me always sang so loud and was always talking in weird language I couldn't understand. So I couldn't serve you. Sorry. That ain't going to work. Amen. So there's the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. And Peter continues to go on here in verse 15. For these are not drunk as uh, you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is 
what was spoken by the prophet Joel. He says, look, you've already got this in your scripture. You already know what this is all about. Because let me remind you, verse 5 says, uh, there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. So these are people that knew about the word of God. They, un- they knew the scripture. And so he says, hey, let me tell you something. This isn't nothing new. God already told you about this through the prophet Joel. And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. He says, you already know about this. And then what I love about it, what I love about this passage, if if you go on here in chapter 2, Peter preaches one of the craziest uh, 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 messages about Jesus, and then 3,000 people come into the kingdom as a result of 120 people that got so crazy they looked drunk and were talking in languages that they did not know. This is the birth of the church, by the way. This is what you call a precedent-setting event, meaning that this is expected on down the line. Expected. And like I said in our first message, when we talked about perception, that we have allowed individuals that got off or were incorrect or misused to allow us to come back and say, well, then I don't believe. That's what's happened. No, it's important to stay with the word of God. Acts chapter 5. I also want to show you that there is an initial filling of the Holy Spirit, but there is a continual filling of the Holy Spirit that needs to take place. It's not just a one-time event. Acts chapter... Um, uh, no, I need Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, verse 31. Acts 4, verse 31. This is, Let me just give you a little... Uh, caption. Let me let me get you caught up now. Acts chapter three. After the day of Pentecost, after they're filled with the Holy Spirit, evidence of speaking in tongues. Now Peter and John are going to worship God, going to pray, and they come across a lame man. The lame man gets healed. The the town gets into an uproar. Throws uh, uh, Peter and John in jail, and they go before the the, uh, the 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 Sanhedrin and the people that don't. They're thinking, man, we just killed Jesus. Now there's more of them. They said, don't ever preach in the name of Jesus again. They said, uh, whether it's right to obey you or obey God, you have to determine. But we must preach in the name of Jesus. And they let them go that time. They let them go that time. So now it's a little, you know, you've just received the Holy Spirit. You've just done an awesome miracle that you saw Jesus do. And now he's working it through you. You, you. You thought that'd be a little encouraging. But it says that they went back to their own. It went back to their own companions, to their own group. And it says in verse 31, And when they had prayed, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God with boldness. Now, wait a minute. I thought they just got filled with the Holy Spirit. I thought we already encountered that. But no, there's a continual feeling that needs to take place. And it says, And they spoke the word of God with boldness. 
One of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit in a, person, in a believer's life is you will be bold about the kingdom of God. You will share the kingdom of God. You will speak out. You will live it. There will be no timidity. There will be no shyness. You will speak. That doesn't mean you're going to get up here, hold a microphone, and preach some message, but you're going to be able to share the kingdom with boldness and with authority because the power. We're talking about the Peter that denied Jesus three times. That's the same Peter that stood up before all these men and 3,000 people came into the kingdom in one day. Tell me that's natural. No, it's the Holy Spirit. And that's being filled with the Holy Spirit and, and with the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon a believer's life. Acts chapter 5, let's look at some more results of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 5 and verse 12. And through the hands of the apostles, many signs and wonders were done among the people. And they were all with one accord in Solomon's porch. Yet none of the rest dared join them, but the people esteemed them highly. Believers were increasingly added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women, so that they brought the sick out into the streets, laid them on beds and couches, that at least the shadow of Peter passing by might fall on some of them. Also a multitude gathered from the surrounding cities to Jerusalem, bringing sick people and those who were tormented by unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Why? As a result of the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon the disciples' life. When you get acquainted with the person of the Holy Spirit, you will receive the power of the Holy Spirit, and it will be in demonstration in your life. This is what God wants to do through his church in the last days. This is not just for the book of Acts. It wasn't supposed to stop with Jesus. It's not supposed to stop with the disciples. He said, I will pour out my spirit on all. The word all in the Greek is translated all. 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 Acts chapter 10, we find an account where we see a different group. Up to this point, we've seen Jews, we've seen God's people receive the Holy Spirit. But in Acts chapter 10, uh, Peter is, uh, you know, praying before the Lord and receives a vision. And in this vision, he sees this cloth come down out of heaven, and in the, the cloth, in the sheet, are are. Uh, all these animals that are unclean that you're not supposed to eat. And then the Lord speaks to him in the vision and says, take, eat. And he says, whoa, I can't eat this stuff. This stuff is unclean. He says, do not call unclean what I have called clean. And then while he's having this vision, somebody comes and knocks to his door, uh, comes and knocks on his door and says, uh, hey, there's a Roman centurion Roman centurion that wants to talk to you. Now, again, up to this point, only Jews had received the Holy Spirit. But the prophet Joel prophesied that the, I was going to pour out, God said, I would pour out my spirit on all flesh. Gentiles were outside of the covenant of God. The circumcision was laid down by Abraham and through the law of Moses. 
And so this Roman centurion wants to know about Jesus. Let me just give you a little picture. Romans were the ones that are trying to kill the disciples. They're the bad guys. They're not friends. They don't get along. This Roman centurion was probably responsible for crucifying some Christians, maybe even Jesus. Probably responsible for cutting off some heads because people preached in the name of Jesus. Probably responsible for whipping and uh, busting open the backs of some Christians because they preached in the name of Jesus. A Roman centurion. And in verse 44, while Peter is preaching, it says, while Peter was still speaking, if you read the whole chapter, he's ministering, he's preaching to them. He's telling them the good news. And while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit fell upon all those who heard the word. Verse 45, and those of the circumcision who believed were astonished. That means the Jews that were with Peter, as many as came with Peter, because the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles also. Why am I showing you this? Because there's nobody eliminated from receiving the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. It's not for some people and not for others. That's not the case. It's for everybody. We already saw that it's for all flesh, meaning throughout uh, generations. It wasn't just for a certain season or for a certain dispensation, but it was to be continued on beyond uh, uh, the book of Acts and beyond the, the first 12 apostles and beyond the word of God into the church that's on the earth today. This is to supersede generation, but it also supersedes all flesh, all races, all backgrounds, all people. He said he calls the Holy Spirit a gift. Would you reject a gift that Jesus has promised to give you? He said, I will send you the promise of the Father. I will send you the comforter, the helper. Amen. The teacher. He will be your guide. He'll show you things to come. I don't know about you, but I need to know some things that are coming. He'll remind you of things that Jesus said. I'll, I'll be honest. I haven't memorized this. Don't fire me. Don't kick me out. I haven't, remember, I haven't memorized everything in here. But the Holy Spirit, when I'm in a conversation or when I need to be in remembrance of the word of God, he'll bring that to my remembrance. Now, he says remembrance. That doesn't mean he's just going to pop verses that you've never read or never studied. But if you give yourself to study, then he'll remind you of the word. Some of you have been asking the Holy Spirit to show you where your keys are at. And been asking you to, to, to bring the word to your remembrance in conversations, and you haven't sat down and read this thing. You can't remember what you never knew. But that's the Holy Spirit's job description. Guys, listen to me. If he's not doing those things in the church today, he's not fulfilling his purpose. It says... They received the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verse 46. For they heard them speak with tongues. Magnify God. They spoke with tongues. They heard them. That's how we knew 
as they spoke with tongues. And Peter answered, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized who have received? They received the baptism of the Holy Spirit before they were baptized in water. Wow. It doesn't mean that they received the Holy Spirit before they were born again. But they became born again, and in the same account, in the same event, they received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, he says, can anyone forbid water that these should not be baptized? Watch this. Who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have. What's he referring to? Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. If you go down to uh, Acts chapter 11, Acts chapter 11 is Paul recounting this event. And uh, in verse 15, he says, or, or not Paul, I'm sorry, Peter. Peter, uh, and I, as I began to speak, the Holy Spirit fell upon them as upon us at the beginning. Now, see, he's going back to the Jewish people because he's letting them know the great discovery he just found out. Guys, this, this baptism of the Holy Spirit's for everybody. He's letting them know, we've got to widen our reach. We've got to expand our ministry. We can't just minister to Jews anymore. We've got to get them all. He says they, re they received the Holy Spirit just like he fell upon us at the beginning. When is that? Acts chapter 2. Then I remembered the word, Peter says. How he said, John indeed baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Well, didn't we just read that? And Peter doesn't have a Bible. He doesn't, Peter can't say. Guys, over in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, John the Baptist, he can't say that. He's going off of an actual account here. If, therefore, God gave them the same gift as he gave us, when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, who was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they became silent. Then they glorified God, saying, Then God has also granted to the Gentiles repentance again. It's for everybody. It's for everybody. Now, I'm not talking about gifts of the Spirit. We'll get into gifts and, and signs and demonstrations next week if you come back. <laughs> we'll see. But we're talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Acts chapter 19. This is a good one. I like this one. They're all good. It's God's word, but I like this one. Acts chapter 19. And it happened while Apollos was at Corinth. Remember that? Corinthian church we read about last week. Remember they're fighting over Apollos and Paul. And they have strife and envies and doing all kinds of weird, crazy stuff. It says it happened while Apollos was at Corinth that Paul, 
having passed through the upper regions, came to Ephesus. And finding some disciples, he said to them, watch this, this is what he says to the church at Ephesus. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And so they said to him, we have not so much as heard whether there is a Holy Spirit. We do not know of this Holy Spirit you speak of. And he said to them, into what then were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. What's that? The baptism in water, right? For the remission of your sins. I baptize you in water, but there is one coming after me that will baptize you in the Holy Spirit and with fire. Then Paul said, John indeed baptized with a baptism of repentance, saying to the people that they should believe on him who would come after him, that is, on Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid hands on them, the Holy Spirit came upon them. They spoke with tongues and prophesied. The men were about 12 in all. Once again, we have another instance where uh, someone is filled with the Holy Spirit and there is an evidence of speaking in a new language, speaking in tongues, a spiritual language. And in this instance, they prophesied what they spoke. Now, what is the purpose of tongues? Now that I've laid out that there is a baptism of the Holy Spirit and the evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is uh, evidence by speaking in new tongues. Some of you call it gibberish. Some of you call it crazy talk. Some of you uh, think that it might actually be another language, um, but it's just simply called a spiritual language or a heavenly language. But why do I need to speak in tongues? What's the purpose? Just to prove that I got the Holy Spirit? Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. It's important to keep things in context, amen? When you remove the context, you come to the wrong conclusion. When we remove the context, we will arrive at the Wrong conclusion. I'm wrapping up, but this is important. I could have given you a fired up message this morning and, and, and sent you out of here laughing and, and excited about life, but we need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit. And, 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 and I know that there are those of you in this, in this room that have been begging to hear this kind of stuff. You've been wondering where in the world has this been? Why hasn't anybody? Look, I've been there. Well, I've heard messages, and I just want to throw my Bible in somebody's face and just say, what's wrong with you? Why haven't I heard this stuff before? It's called revelation. See, the church has been trying to operate on information, but God wants to speak to his people through revelation. And when revelation shows up, it changes your life. You can go to any conference, and you can pay whatever you want for information, but this morning we're getting revelation by the Spirit of God. Amen. But I'm teaching, so don't try to get me all fired up. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, he's talking to the Corinthian church. We kind of read the back portion of this chapter uh, last week, but starting with verse 14. Uh, Nope, that's not what I want. Verse 1. 1 Corinthians 14, verse 1. Pursue love. 
and desire spiritual gifts. He says desire spiritual gifts. Desire. That means be passionate about the operation. But especially that you may prophesy. Now, let me keep you in context. Because there are way too many people that want to use this chapter in the uh, attack of tongues. So, he is specifically talking to the Corinthian church about the uh, public use of tongues. There is a private side of tongues, and there is a public use of tongues. There is a private side of tongues, and there is a public use of tongues. Now, private does not mean that you can only do it in the privacy of yourself or in your own home. That just simply means that it does something for me. But then the public side of tongues is to be an operation to do something for the church as a whole. And he's bringing correction to a Corinthian church that has misunderstood and misappropriated uh, tongues and prophecy and, and gifts of the Spirit. And so he's trying to bring correction and direction to them so they can use it effectively. Anytime we don't know the purpose for something, we will abuse it. And there has been tongues abuse in the church. There was in this church. And there still is in churches today. And so we want to bring correction. But he is not saying you cannot speak in tongues. And you cannot speak in tongues in public uh, if there's no prophecy. Let's look at it. He says desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. He doesn't say forget tongues and only go after prophecy. He just says especially in the corporate public setting we need to desire prophecy. For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. For no one understands him. If I started speaking in tongues right now, you wouldn't understand anything I'm saying. However, in the spirit, he speaks mysteries. So there's number one. Why do I want to pray in tongues? Because I want to speak mysteries. What's a mystery? What I don't know. Look, you can pray in the, in, in the English language and you can pray about things that you know about. But what about when you need to pray about something you don't know about? And we'll look at that over in Romans chapter 8 in just a minute. Verse 3, he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation. Comfort to men. What is the purpose of tongues and interpretation of tongues in the church? Is it to boast someone up? Is it to puff them up? Is it to show off how spiritual you are? No. It says that it is for the edification and the comfort. If you are not edified, what does that mean? That means to build up and strengthen, encourage. And if you are not comforted, man, I've been in some services uh, where someone will give a tongue and interpretation, and the interpretation, uh, uh, the the uh, interpretation will just be, you know, God hates all of you and uh, is calling down fire upon you, and and you have made him mad, and now he's coming to get you. I was just talking uh, with Chris Musgrove. How many of you guys know Chris? He was just here a few weeks ago, uh, ministering for me. I was just talking with him, and, and we've seen some crazy stuff. And and uh, he said one time there was this guy that got up. 
uh, and he prophesied. And he said, thus saith the Lord, I am not in this place. No. If you're not here, how are you talking to me right now? Yeah. Thus saith the Lord. People want to throw thus saith the Lord on everything and it's automatically God and that's just not true. But, 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 but Paul gives us some qualifiers here. He says if it edifies you, if it strengthens you, if it encourages you, if it comforts you. Look, if it's not comforting, I'm not saying it won't be disrupting because sometimes the Holy Spirit will read your mail and he'll say some stuff. But it's always to bring correction and direction in your life. He never will embarrass you. He will never put you on the spot. And it's usually always to your benefit. When I go back, I can edit out the word usually because I didn't mean to say usually. It always is to your benefit. Period. He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself. So there's the personal side, the private side. When you speak in tongues, you are strengthening yourself. You're edifying yourself. You are building yourself up, he said. How many of you need some building up sometimes? If you say you don't, you're lying. We all need to be built up. Bible tells us that David strengthened himself in the Lord. Wait, you, if you're waiting for Sunday for me to encourage you and waiting for me to build you up, hey, you've got a, 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 a spiritual language, a heavenly language that you can build yourself up. Build your spirit man up. He says that he edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. Look what he says in verse 5. I wish you all spoke with tongues. I wish you all. That's that same Greek word, all, that we saw earlier. I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. Again, he's talking to a church that misappropriated the use of tongues. So he's trying to bring them back. He's trying to bring balance. He's saying, look, I'm glad that you guys are praying in tongues. And I'm glad that you guys are using your personal language. But when you're in a corporate setting, you don't need people just shouting out stuff in tongues with no interpretation because nobody's being edified. We don't know what you're saying. But he's not saying don't speak in tongues. And he's not saying don't speak in tongues in a public place. Let me tell you the difference. It's very simple. It's very simple. I can use tongues to go from here to here. Or I can use tongues to go from here through here to you. There's two different scenarios. I've heard people say, you know, that they won't go to churches where uh, people in the church body speak in tongues, maybe just worshiping the Lord, or maybe they're just praying and praying to themselves, but you can still hear them. I, I'm aware you can hear them, but here's the problem. They're not talking to you. They're not speaking to you. They're speaking to God. There's nobody here that, will, that freaks out when I pray in English to God. I'm not talking to you. Every Sunday, I close this service in prayer. 
and I hold a microphone and you hear what I'm praying. I know that there are some churches that say, you know, when the pastor's praying, you shouldn't be saying anything. Why? You don't know the power of agreement. You don't understand what the word amen means. The word amen means so be it. There's some of you that need to start amening because you need to confirm the word that I'm speaking is actually so in your life. When you say amen, pastor, not only does it get me excited and get me charged up, but it also confirms, yes, I received that and I want to see that in my life. When I say you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you and you say amen, you're saying so be it. That's what you're doing. You're confirming the word. When, you're, when, when I'm praying, you can pray. We're not a church where you've got to be silent. We're not a church where we're the ones singing and you're watching. This isn't a spectator sport. We're leading you into the throne room of God. Your hands should be lifted. Your mouth should be praising. Your voice should be declaring. The breath in my lungs belongs to you. Why are you holding it in? Praise him. Open your mouth. Tell him he's worthy. I don't care what kind of week you had. He's still worthy. I don't care how bad it was. He's still on the throne. Amen. So he's not saying here that we can't be in a public setting and pray in tongues. He's saying that if it gets to a point to where the attention is focused on you and there's no interpretation, we've got a problem. Because nobody knows what you just said. He's saying when God is using you as a vessel to speak a tongue to the church through a spiritual heavenly language, desire to prophesy so that it can edify the church. Let's keep going. He, he, he says... So much more as we keep going. In verse 6, he talks about, uh, you know, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall it profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? He's, he's saying it's not effective to you. He goes on to say, you know, that he, he, he uh, compares it to an instrument that's out of tune. It's not helping anybody. In verse 10, he says, There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world. None of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Even so you, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. He's saying, since you're so passionate about this, let's get passionate about the right thing. Let's get passionate about building up the church, not just operating in a gift. Uh, Verse 13, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. Verse 15, what is the conclusion then? Right? We need to come to the right conclusion, so we need the right context. I will pray with the Spirit. He says, I'll, I'm not going to quit praying with the Spirit. I will pray with the Spirit. 
But I'll also pray with the understanding. He says, I will sing with the Spirit. And I'll also sing with the understanding. He's not saying eliminate one over the other. He's saying use the appropriate one in the appropriate context to receive the right conclusion. That's exactly what he's saying. He says, if my spirit prays, my understanding is fruitful. Let me ask you this. Why do you have to know? Remember Kenneth E. Hagin, founder of the school that I graduated from, the Bible school, had a phenomenal ministry, known as one of the pioneers of the faith message, faith movement, in the 40s, the 50s, the 60s, the 70s. Raymond was founded in the 70s, 80s, 90s, passed away in, in 2003. And he would tell stories that he would wake up in the middle of the night with just an urge, just an unction to to pray in the spirit. Didn't know why. Had, had no idea why. And he's just praying. Until he felt the release. He said sometimes it'd be 10 minutes. Sometimes it'd be an hour. He would just pray in the spirit. One instance he spoke up. Uh, he, he got a phone call the next day that his brother had fallen off a ladder and was in a terrible accident. But lived. Was in the hospital recovering. Could it be that he just prayed? Look, if you don't believe in the spirit realm, why are you in this thing anyway? If you think everything that you see is it, it's just all natural, and there's no spiritual context, yeah, you can pray in the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 8, verse 26. Likewise, The Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. Why? Because he's a helper. That's no surprise. Jesus said, I'm sending you a helper. Helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. So even if you thought you knew everything you ought to pray for, Paul is telling you you don't. And so you need some help. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. I don't know about you, but I think it would be better for me sometimes to let the Holy Spirit pray through me. What is my weakness? I am weak in what I do not know. If I don't know it, I'm weak. So I need the Holy Spirit to pray. So you know what? Sometimes I don't know how to pray about certain situations. I'll be honest with you. November is one of those situations. But I have been doing plenty of praying in the Holy Spirit about who's going to be in office over this country. Because I don't know what to pray. I don't know which way uh, to pray. I don't know who to pray for. I don't know what to pray for them for. So I pray in the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit sure does. Because verse 27 tells me, He searches the hearts and knows what the mind of the Spirit is. Because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. Can it be any more clear? You don't know it all. 
You don't have it all figured out, but you have been given a gift, a promise by the Father. Jesus sent him to us, and Jesus wasn't flipping out uh, when, when uh, he had to go to heaven. He wasn't saying, great, now this thing is going to hell in a handbasket. I better hurry up and get back here. I don't know. No, he was excited. He was excited because the Spirit of God that was upon him was now going to be inside of every individual believer. And now the Holy Spirit can make intercession for the saints according to the will of God. If you don't know what the will of God is, pray in tongues. Pray in the Holy Spirit because he sure does and he's not going to get it wrong. Pray in the Spirit. I pray in the Spirit way more than I pray in here. Way more. I do it to build myself up. Jude chapter 1. Well, Jude's only one book, but Jude verse 20. Jude verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith. How? How am I going to build myself up in my most holy faith? What's he saying? Praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. Worship team, if you come up. Praying in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to come upon your life. He wants to come in your life as salvation to help produce the fruit of the kingdom of God. But he wants to come upon your life to empower you and to endue you with power. Now, I know I said a lot about tongues because that's where most people get hung up with the Holy Spirit. If I tell someone, hey, did you know that God wants to give you power to do kingdom work? Yeah, that's awesome. I want that. But then when I say, now there's evidence of speaking in tongues associated with the Holy Spirit coming. Oh, I don't know. But let me make it very clear. That the Holy Spirit is not all about tongues. That is simply evidence of the Holy Spirit in you. And it will provide a a, a power to you to build you up, to encourage you. In the public setting, it will encourage the church through tongues and interpretation and prophecy. But the Holy Spirit wants to give you power. Some of you have felt helpless. You've seen that person that's just battling with that disease. Some of you know family members that are struggling with cancer. The Holy Spirit wants to endue you with power to lay hands on the sick and see them recover. I'm tired of hearing people say that healing is not for today just because you can't stand in faith to believe it. Why are we writing off the Bible? That is perfect. There's an epidemic in the world today that wants the Bible to align with my life instead of me choosing to align my life with God's Word. Now, this, I understand, for a lot of you, is simply an introduction. I told you, my parents, it took them six months to hear this stuff. Oh, oh. This is the last time you hear it. You probably won't get it. Because the Holy Spirit comes on people that desire it. 
I had one person come up here one time, received the Holy Spirit, we prayed for him. Didn't get it. That's okay. You gotta you gotta overcome this thing. But then we went back. And he told me later on, he said, Well, I really just went up there to see if this thing was even for real. Doesn't work like that. You don't desire. Paul said, desire spiritual. You don't desire it. You don't want it. This message is a starting point for you. This is to build something up. I'm going to have my wife come up here. She's going to give her testimony. Because she didn't get it the first time she heard it. But she stayed in it consistently. In fact, part of her testimony is she saw the wrong side before she saw the right side, and she still got it. Amen. So completely different than my husband. He grew up in the Pentecostal church, born into the spirit-filled. I grew up Southern Baptist. Actually, once middle school came is when my family and I started going to church. So I grew up in the Southern Baptist denomination, which I'm thankful for the roots. I'm thankful for, you know, that's where my relationship started with God. But I always knew there was more to it. I knew there was more than just going and, you know, partying with your friends on Saturday night, waking up Sunday morning, go to church, and, you know, you're good to go for the week. You know, I knew there was more for that, and I was hungry for that. So, you know, once high school, I graduated high school, I started going to another church, and um, that's where the Slateville came in. Um, and I'm thankful for this season and for this church as well because I was able to see, you know, the wrong side of it. I'm thankful for those people, and they're great people, but, um, you know, and my husband, he just, he really pinpointed it for me last week. Um, he said, you know, that if we're not bearing the fruit, if we can come in here, we can have a Holy Ghost service, we can be jumping, running, shouting, you know, that's great. But if we go out there Monday and just are angry and mean and, you know, not bearing the fruit of the Spirit, then what good was that Sunday? And that's what I was seeing in that ministry. You know, I knew those people. I knew the staff. It was a smaller church, so, you know, that's who you hung out with. So I saw them Monday. I saw them Tuesday. I saw them Wednesday. And they weren't, you know, bearing the fruit of, you know, I saw them Sunday having that, you know, great time with the Holy Ghost, but then living that lifestyle. It wasn't until um, Anchor Bay Church in St. Augustine that I started attending there. Um, you know, I, I, I knew the people there. It was smaller. Austin and Crystal were there with us. It was smaller, so we everybody hung out with everybody. We knew each other. So I was seeing, I knew it was a spirit-filled church, and I was seeing these people are real. These people are happy. They love God, and they're, they're living this out Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday. It, that's when I started to desire it. You know, back in the Baptist denomination, that's where I said, okay, nope, it's not for today. And then, you know, the ministry after high school, I said, okay, that's good for you, but that's not for me. I don't want that. You know, I, I don't need that. You can have that all day long. But when I started coming to Anchor Bay Church and when I saw it was real, I started to desire it for myself. And that's when, you know, I would take the, the messages that were being ministered on Sunday and go home and study it out for myself. Get my Bible out Monday morning and, you know, look up these scriptures for myself. Not take what our pastor was saying, but study it out for myself. And, you know, that's where that hunger and desire started to stir up within me. And I received the Holy Spirit in my home, in my bedroom. You know, he, he talks about the mental... You have to get.
get past the mental side of it. You know, I, that I had that. And I think that it was because of my perception and how I was raised and how I grew up and what I've seen in the church. You know, I had those thoughts of, is this really going to work? Is this going to happen? Do I really have to go down and, you know, lay hands on me? What if I don't start speaking in tongues? What's going to happen? So, you know, I had to push that aside. And it, it, I was laying, or I was sleeping. I was sleeping. It was in the middle of the night. And I woke up, and I just felt a heaviness. I felt a weight. I felt like there was just something that needed to be released. I had never experienced that. And I just, I sat up, and I opened my mouth, and I yielded, and I I gave utterance to the Holy Spirit, and I received it. I remember I called him the next day. You know, we weren't, I don't think we were dating at that time, but I was so excited. I was like, I got it. I got it. I got the Holy Spirit. And my life has never been the same. And I can tell you the Holy Spirit is for today. Speaking in tongues is for today. And I promise you, if you take time to go study this out for yourself, hook up, just like Pastor Mark said, find somebody, talk to them about it, encourage one another in the Word together. You know, I've, I've shared this testimony with many of you. Um, you've heard this before, and I take those opportunities because it's for everybody. It's not just for, you know, a few select people. It's for everybody. God desires that for everybody. Father, we thank you. Father, I thank you this morning that we have a body that's teachable, desires to know the Word of God. We don't want to desire what man has. We don't want to desire some tradition, some idea, right or wrong. Father, we desire to know the truth. You said the truth would set us free. The truth would set us free. We thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to us to be our helper, to be our comforter, to be our guide, our teacher. Father, we thank you for the power of the Holy Spirit that is evident in the life of a believer that has received the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I thank you eyes are open today. Minds are renewed. Hearts are receptive. Father, for those that desire to know more, Father, I thank you that you will give them clarity by your Holy Spirit. You will give them direction. You will bear witness within side of them that this is truth. This is a gift. This is a promise that you have for each one of us. Father, I thank you that we will be empowered and equipped because of it. In Jesus' name, amen.